Right, so I think it's fair to say that at the end of last week's show, or uh, whenever it was, I've lost track of what day it is. Thursday show. Thursday show. Yeah, Friday show. Um, We did one of the more in-depth previews we've literally ever done. We broke down like some of the tactical matchups, loads of the options, a really kind of in-depth look at where the opposition were. The kind of preview we should be doing. Yeah, the, the, week, and we hardly ever do. do. Yeah. Um, and uh, th- yes, that was not a good use of anyone's time, was it? It turned out. In, yeah, in fairly- buried that one in the archive along with the uh, two lost pods. Yeah. Um, so uh, no, no Spurs game, obviously. No football till... Well, I'm just putting air quotes around this. No football till April. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 3rd of April, is it? Something like that. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that nobody expects football to return on the 3rd of April, at least not in Europe anyway. Yeah. It's pretty much shut down uh, everywhere. And it's obviously going to have some serious consequences for football, both in terms of finishing this season, which I don't think will get finished. And we can have a chat about what should happen with that. Uh, and and uh, probably the probably two seasons an impact plus the Euros plus the Women's Euros plus the Club World Cup which is planned for next year and the I was gonna what was it called Gold Cup no Confederations Cup yeah they're all gonna be impacted so it's it's probably the biggest change in football for seventy five years but for non non football reasons yeah. I mean, of course, a lot of what we say at this juncture has an inherent speculation to it because there's still so much unknown about what the next few months will bring. Um, but I do think, you know, it 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 seems looking at the situation to be um, optimistic, bordering on sort of um, delusion to assume that things will quickly return back to normal, in yeah. inverted commas, in... in the countries that are significantly affected by this, it's going to be something which takes a good while and and has a, a fairly long tail in terms of playing out and and normalising. Um, so, so like obviously football. Well, the the fact that people don't get to watch football is not one of the major problems with this situation. There's much worse things going on, but of course there there are a great many livelihoods and. Uh, individuals who will, you know, suffer a great deal from football's absence. There's a huge industry, not all malign, around football, you know, right. from from clubs lower down the leagues who will really struggle to survive without the regular income with, uh, you know, anybody whose job is a freelance football writer, for example. Well, they're, they're obviously really going to be struggling. They're in some trouble, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's... I, I mean, I think it's it's obviously... I think it got to the point where it was ridiculous, the Premier League delaying and delaying and delaying. And, and it's kind of, it says something about the powers that be in the Premier League that it took for a footballer and a manager, plus hudson Odoi, plus apparently some Leicester players, to fall ill for them to make a decision. They were quite happy for fans to potentially spread it around, but one of their own and everyone's up in arms. And, and so I think where, how they got to the right decision was was lengthy too lengthy probably but look we're not public health officials or no. experts or epidemiologists or anything like that and so you know it's a fan's perspective and and kind of i think it's okay for us to really have perspective i mean we're recording this on sunday 
14 more people here in the UK died yesterday from this. It's obviously way bigger than football and and um you know and and it's impacting the entire globe now 200 countries with cases so way bigger than football but it took too long and then you're completely right um especially down the pyramid it's going to have a serious impact i mean up at the top of the pyramid it has a serious impact on just everyday people who staff concessions and are stewards and rely on football for income freelance journalists podcasters and so on. Uh, but down the pyramid, clubs may well go to the wall without this income. And, and the whether it's the Premier League or the FA or other football authorities may need to find a way of distributing income so that doesn't happen. I mean, Gary Neville was quite vocal on Twitter, but because of Salford, and he's quite sort of anti-suspending football or playing it behind closed doors. He wanted to suspend it and then finish it over the summer, which I think is optimistic. Um, and and it just kind of felt like it was um, quite a weird argument from him given that Salford is 50% owned by Peter Lim, a billionaire. They're one of the few clubs that can cope with this at that level. Well, maybe... May- Many of the others are hand-to-mouth. They live hand-to-mouth. Maybe he's aware of that, though. Like, maybe that wasn't just a pure self-interest position that he was espousing. Maybe it was, you know, the wider football community. Yeah, perhaps. I'm sure Karen Brady had uh, the integrity of football uh, in mind when she wrote her op-ed piece saying, kill the season now with West Ham one point above the safety zone. Funny thing is, I found myself reading Karen Brady's article going, actually, I agree. I don't agree with how she got there because I'm, you know, it's clearly in self-interest, such naked self-interest. But in terms of how do the integrity of the sport, if you're not going to be able to complete the season before August, and I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen, then actually just null and voiding the entire season is probably the fairest thing to do. Otherwise, there's there's trade too many trade, and it's not about Liverpool, because, hey, the fairest thing to do here sticks United in the Europa League, whereas right now we're in the Champions League spot. Um, so, and I, God knows I can't stand another season of Thursday nights. <laughs> it's just awful. But I, but... But all these trade-offs that happen in a relegation zone, you currently have three clubs on 27 points. Yeah, and, and you know, so I you I know. think in terms of the Premier League season, yeah, sure, you could say, I, like, listen, let's not talk about tribalism. I get really sick of tribalism. Um, it, it makes people stupid in all kinds of different ways. And the fact is, there's a lot... Yeah, but f- scarcers, hey? There's a lot of people... no! Like, I hate it. It's so stupid, especially now, like, when we all desperately need one another. Um, but the uh, the the fact that, like, there's a load of people who've waited 30 years, never seen that, like, perfectly decent people who, I'm sure some of this people listening to this podcast are people they absolutely love who um, support Liverpool, who haven't seen their team win the league for 30 years. For them to have it taken away from them like this is absolutely insane. And even though I kind of I get the mathematical argument, I think there's a huge difference between, say, declaring that Norwich are definitely going to get relegated when they're actually six points off safety um, with three teams on six points ahead of them and saying that Liverpool are definitely going to win the league when they're, you know, they're definitely going to win the sure, league. Sure, but you're setting a precedent. So I think... So my my argument against that would be okay. So how many points do you draw the line? No, at? Exa- I mean, I, I. So if you say Liverpool are champions, what is it? Is it because they're what 
25 with City having a game in hand. So do you draw the line at 20 no, or 10? No, I mean, this is... This is uh, the only way the line can possibly be drawn is if the line is drawn at... Uh, what I mean by that is, like, um, you, you can only have an objective... Me- There's only one objective measure, and that's have you crossed the threshold where it's impossible. But then I... To me, it seems insane that you don't apply some subjectivity. So what precedent are you drawing? You're drawing the precedent that says if every single person who has ever watched football all agrees, then the, then that's an OK precedent to set, you know? No, see, I don't I still I don't even agree with that, because I think the two clubs that are on 27 points and above the relegation line would be quite happy with that. But who who's the one? Is it is it Aston Villa? They'd be relegated right now. And they're goal difference away. But, but and, so and so I don't the, no, think no, they but, should be. I don't think they should be relegated at all. Like, I I, I, th- I think... But Leeds can't be promoted? But no, I think I think they're going to have to look at having a 22-team season in the Premier League next season, aren't they? And then have, like, a bigger relegation thing and all that kind of... You know, they're going to have to do something something around that sort of area. But, but, but what this is saying is every team other than... Liverpool yeah. gets to gets to finish the season with just a massive amount of subjective decision making applying to their next season. I mean, look, yes. um, we're going to talk about the FA Cup semi-final in a bit. And in the 99 season, when the clock hit 90 minutes, United hadn't won the Champions League final. Right. So if you stop the game at that point... Bayern would have been the winners, which is basically what you're saying. No, it's absolutely not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if Bayern was 7-0 up at 90 minutes and you'd stop the game, you should say, yeah, Bayern have won this game. You shouldn't say, oh, sorry, we've got to abandon it. We're going to have to replay it because United should, could have possibly scored no, seven no, goals. See, that's that's, but, that's but literally the, 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 that's the metaphor. Well, <laughs> but, exactly, but, but my pushback on that one is... How many goals is then enough for you to say that? I think you. That's so. What, and, and by so, the way, yeah. if I'm if I'm Manchester City, and maybe City will go, well, we've lost it, and they'd be happy to vote for this. But at the other end of the table, if I'm Norwich or if I'm Aston Villa or if I'm West Ham, if the decision doesn't go by my way because some kind of panel of FA suits or whatever have said, well, this is how we're deciding it, I'm going to get really litigious so what i would say is that if you look at the data modeling right and you look at the percentage that norwich could stay up this season versus the percentage that man city could win the the league i haven't looked at this but uh, presumably they are orders of magnitude different oh completely different it's 99.99999 whatever and so um i I mean i think 538 put out a thing saying in fifty thousand iterations they hadn't found a result other than liverpool winning but what I'm saying is, what is the number then? But is it 98% no. chance is okay or 97, 94, 95, 93, 92? Because you'd have to make that but test. But I, I don't know what the number is. But exactly what I'm saying is, you're trying to apply, I'm not, you, you're perfectly within your rights to, to want this. You're trying to apply a model to this particular situation, which would apply universally and have like preset rules effectively for this effective situation happening again and i'm not convinced that that's a particularly important 
um, metric by which to decide this particular instance because you know we've been alive how it well that football has existed for as long as it's existed in a professional sense this is the first time this has ever had to happen well, I'm not actually sure about what happened uh, when when football was suspended around the world wars but apart from that there's never been anything similar to this so sure no that's actually not even what I'm saying I'm, I'm, I mean I do think universal rules are important because um because of the precedent that's set and granted it's uh it's a once in a lifetime or multi generational thing that's happened. Um, I, I'm I'm actually saying like I would challenge this if I was anyone. But and anyway, look, there are two different things here. There's like money and finances and stuff like that, and that matters down the bottom of the league a hell of a lot more than it matters between first and second. And then there's the trophy and declaring a winner before the the game's actually com- been completed. You know, and and. Like maybe people will agree that that um, Liverpool should win it in some way. There's all there'll always be an asterisk against it, of course, because they haven't actually won it. Much as if the game had been abandoned in '99, and they'd said, "Okay, yeah, it's over now." But no, I, I think United you hadn't keep won using it. that, but it's a really terrible analogy because that was there was a tiny margin between the two teams that could easily be overturned by a minorly freak event as opposed to a gargantuan different a gargantuan near mathematical i I use an analogy that fergie used to used to say you know it would this be a devon lock moment i mean he was half the course ahead and fell over and someone else won yes all the other horses fell over and and devon lock won in a sport where (laughs) like um that's 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 technically possible so anyway the 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 point being is is like I I think it's absolutely obvious to everyone that Liverpool have won the league this season. Like this is oh no look I don't disagree with that. I'm talking about integrity of sport though, and I think this is a very different thing. So I think you can say uh, you can say yeah Liverpool going to we've been talking about Liverpool effectively won the league for weeks and City could just give up and focus on Europe because that's the only thing that mattered to them and we've spoken about that on the pod for weeks now. Um, and I think that's fair enough, but as something that can be stand the test of time as a precedent, no matter how unlikely, I mean, you know, maybe this thing comes back again, um, that could stand up to legal scrutiny, and I'm 100% sure that this does not, you know, just awarding someone millions of pounds um, or an entity. Um, and that is, it keeps the sport, that that is that can apply at all levels of the game, right? So what we'd be saying is leagues don't get the same response or the league one, whoever's top of league one at the moment, I've no idea, don't get the same thing or do we? And we shift everything up the pyramid and there's no relegation anywhere. And, you know, in some of the leagues, you can have 27 team leagues or something it's, like that. It's a and, real it's a real massive issue. Um, and as is just saying... Oh, nothing that's happened so far this season matters. Like you, you mentioned litigation, United could easily. Well, I tell you what. How, how about we'll, we'll declare, we we'll freeze the season. We we'll just say it's null and void. It's gone. We we'll just start again next season. We'll declare Liverpool moral victors. How about that? So, I mean, if, if that's what's important. But no, I anyway. No, I, 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 <laughs> this, I, it's going to. I don't know how the Premier League are going to decide this, but I, I'm sure as hell. They can't just go, yeah, yeah, we all kind of agree with this because it's too open to litigation. But I, I, I th- I'm assuming that this is done and then teams have to vote on it and all that sort of stuff. You know, this. I'm saying that the Premier League, 
as a collective, should all vote that Liverpool are champions this season because obviously they are. That's that's. What about um? What about with nine games left? Uh, what about payments? Yeah, that's a great question. I have no idea what the answer is to that. But 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 I have no idea what the answer is to any of this. So like, I have one opinion about it, right? Which is that you shouldn't. I it it's insane to try and deny the reality of who won the league this season. Everything else is still up for grabs. That's that's it. Yeah. Uh, okay. Fine. Um, I, I only I agree like 75% in that Liverpool are obviously going to win. They can claim their moral victory, but um, I don't think you can, I can... I don't think you can apply one part of this to only one part of the whole sport, right? Which is, yeah, those guys, they, they get to finish the season. No one else does. Or they get to finish the season yeah, with their no, trophy. I, no one else does. I, I don't think you can, uh, you can, you can award sport. You can administer sport like that. Mm. Oh, anyway, there you go. that was fun. Uh, I don't think we'll see professional football for quite some time, but uh, we'll see. You know, miracles happen, but <laughs> we need bigger miracles yeah. away from football, don't we? A- absolutely. Um, so, uh, in terms of United, I mean, it's we we. We'll wait and see. We'll react as news comes out, as things happen and develop. We'll react to that. We're not just going to speculate on all the different possibilities because I think speculation is incredibly uh, destructive generally at this point in all different kinds of manners and ways. So we probably don't need to. We'll, we'll react to anything that does happen. I don't know happen. what you're talking about, mate. I've got 4,000 toilet rolls in my house and a couple of shotguns. <laughs> There you go. Uh, should we take some listener questions before we get into what is going to be the show from now for a little while? <laughs> NQAT Game Club. And the first rule of Game Club is that you please tell all your friends about Game Club. Everyone gets to know about Game Club. You can talk about it as much as you like. That's the, the first rule of Game Club. Lucas, a uh, friend of the show, says, Will this enforced break impact United's momentum going into next season? Uh, do, do we have momentum? Well, I guess we do. Ten, ten yeah, games yeah, unbeaten. We, we, Actually, one of the really interesting things that we didn't talk about in that uh, that uh, little debate there is what happens with the transfer window. I mean, <laughs> it's. Uh, I mean, there's the basic logistics of can you fly around signing deals and stuff like that, and might not be possible by this summer. But there's if if by some miracle football is back and people are still playing. Over the summer, there there is no transfer window. It's one of the another one of the big messes that football had to sort out. Uh, momentum, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, Odin Agallo's due to send and go back in uh, at the end of May, so you know that'll be all our momentum destroyed, won't it? Uh, yeah, I I I think it. I honestly, my only honest answer to this is I'm not sure that could matter any less. Uh, you know. Our momentum could easily have been destroyed by the rest of the season, or it could have grown into something really, really amazing. Um, so, yeah, th- who knows? Definitely not me. Roy, Roy Tan says, does Igalo's success at United mean that the Chinese Super League is actually on par with the Premier League right now? And he links a tweet of mine in which I said, yes, we know Igalo's rubbish, and he'll always be rubbish. And <laughs> it's... By etc. and so on. I, I would only point out in mitigation, although it's been a, a joy to watch Igalo's joy and his goal the other day was just incredible. 
that uh, he hasn't actually scored against anyone decent yet in in mitigation. <laughs> but this is what he was there for. He was here to fill out, fill out the squad. Yeah, absolutely. He's done an amazing job. Uh, the Chinese Super League is exactly what we all thought it was. And Igalo is mostly who we think he is too. Uh, he's always had brilliant moments in him and he's used the incredible momentum around what must be unbelievably exciting for him to maximum effect. And, and if he... If he does end up not playing for United again, that'll be really sad. I have to say, I suspect he will be at United next season at this point. Yeah, um, peace out today saying that um, Shanghai Shenzhen, Shenhua, sorry, have, uh, are now asking 15 million. They bought him for 6 million. He, he originally went to China for something like 30 million. Um, he had an intra-China transfer at quite a lot less and, you know, that, there's no way United pay 15 million and pay his wages. Just, just no way. So if they work out the finances, yeah, it might seem like um, a sensible one. I would caution against giving him a long-term deal. He's oh, getting on a bit now, and and the success has been very short-term. But you know, United like shiny things that they can market, don't they? So um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens. Nebiat Belichu says, where should United now do pre-season? Not a lot of places around the world we can take make millions because of uh, the virus. So United was supposed to be going to Asia. That's definitely not going to happen. I suspect there is no um, summer tour for a whole bunch of reasons, yeah. I think, yeah, I think he's uh, poking fun at the club here. But, you know, if, um, if look, if Edward Wood uh, could find a way of making millions even in the the world situation i'm sure he would just open a supermarket yeah uh yes united branded bog roll peng says if the season is voided i plan to shoot a video of my three-year-old daughter laughing for 30 seconds while wearing a united jersey because the video of me doing the same thing would not be respectful especially considering i'm from wuhan what would you do <laughs> uh i guess if you're from wuhan you get to make that joke um yeah, I I I don't think it's funny, but uh, I know that I'm about one in whatever three percent of Man United fans that don't think it's funny. Because yeah, yeah, no, I think um, I think it's what, just three percent, three percent, not 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 three percent. Yeah, you go. No, I'd, I'd like to think I'd like to think there are the Corinthian spirit still exists somewhere in uh, the world, even if you have to dig a bit for it. Look, I, uh, I, I'm happy to compartmentalise here. So on the one hand, say, uh, look, this situation is is so much more serious than just football. And uh, without being an epidemiologist, I don't know what's going to happen and w- how big the curve is and how serious it gets. But it's all bloody scary, of course. Um, we all have... Uh, you know, I'm not, vulnerable I'm not and older ab- people that we know or care about, or you know, I'm not talking about the overall. Situation no, no, I know you're not. not. I know you're not. I'm just putting I'm context. I'm talking about Liverpool. Yeah, where, yeah, yeah, and and preamble to that was context. Preamble to okay. it. Funny if Liverpool get this yeah. ripped off them for, <laughs> after <laughs> desperately wanting it for thirty years. <laughs> I just feel like it's just so unnecessarily cruel to revel in that. I don't. Yeah, and get. I don't get it. I just. I. I don't get how people's brains work that they just 
They just want to deny other people pleasure because it makes them feel better. Like it doesn't affect your life in any way. <laughs> so amid the um, amid the back to ninety nine again, right? Amid the celebrations, how magnificent it was and the joy. Um, there's uh, there's a shot of uh, Samuel Kafour beating the ground in despair and frustration, which still to this day gives me pause to chuckle. <laughs> I, just, I just can't help it. It's funny. And I, I it's called Schadenfreude. The Germans, yeah, I, 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 the in, Germans invented in, it. <laughs> in microcosm, it's a significant percentage of the problem with the world that people have that attitude towards one no, another. No, no, no. Schadenfreude is different from cruelty. Anyway, Mac Mac says... No, 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 it isn't. That's just what people tell themselves to feel better about the fact that they're happy to witness the suffering of others. Um... Some of the funniest things there, other people uh, suffering pain. Mac Mac says, and we'll uh, finish listening to the questions here, do you eat kiwis with skin on like an apple or slice them in half and daintily scoop out the innards with a spoon? I personally get a lot of stick for the way I eat them, so barbarically, but honestly, it's the most convenient way in my opinion. Thoughts? Um, So uh, I definitely had extended periods of my life where I was a wash the kiwi and eat the whole thing person. In my later years, I just don't have the palate for it. I, I need, I need the, the just, just the easy bit. So it's, it's mostly I'm eating kiwis. I'm at home. In fact, to be honest, my number one kiwi delivery mechanism is in the form of a smoothie. So I'm going to have peeled it, put the whole thing in the smoothie, but not the peel. That's because I think in, a, nah, in a, it's just it's, sorry, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. Like Liverpool being awarded the title <laughs> without actually winning it, this is wrong. <laughs> Uh, yes, I'm a peeler and slicer myself, yep. but you know. Hey. Oh, so you peel and slice? You you or a peel and daintily scoop. eat it? Oh yeah, peel and scoop <laughs> like a boiled egg. No, no, no. I'd be peel and peel and peel and slice. Oh, peel the whole thing! Wow, yeah. that's not just dainty. That's like like posh. You've changed it. Posh, You've yeah. changed. Posh. <laughs> Moving to Northwest London has changed you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway. We'll leave it there, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. And then and, uh, we'll, we'll take a quick break and then we're back to, with some retro football. We hope you're enjoying the No Question About That podcast. We are open for sponsorship, so if uh, you run the kind of business that would be interested in sponsoring our show, just drop us an email at nqatpod at gmail.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to NQAT Game Club. Um, it's called that because it's like a book club, but for games. And speaking of which, we should probably pick now what game we are going to do next so that the people can watch along uh, in advance if they want yeah, to. Yeah, pick one. Um, Not, today we're talking about the FA Cup 99 semi-final replay. So, so yeah, go ahead, Paul, pick one. Not from the 99 um, season, though. We need a bit of all variety. Right. How about the 7-1 against Roma? Sure. Uh, uh, we need to work out whether we can... We can actually find a copy of that game because um, the good thing about this is that the whole thing was on uh, was on YouTube. Um, but let's assume that we can somehow use the internet to find this game, and we'll do that. Um, this particular game that we're going to talk about today is the semi-final replay between Manchester United and Arsenal of the FA Cup in 1999. Now. The FA Cup is clearly the least important of the three trophies that were won. And yet, this particular moment is utterly seminal in the history of Manchester United in totality 
the history of a couple of our most famous players, most kind of lauded and long-term servants of the club. Um, And it's also, in my opinion, an absolutely central part of why we went on to win the treble. Oh, sure. I mean, there's a quote from Arsene Wenger. You sent around an article earlier saying that without that Giggs goal, United don't win the treble. I mean, literally, but it gave United a whole bunch of momentum. But I think uh, where where it's interesting to start with, and and some of the things I'd forgotten about it, I've forgotten loads of things about this game because I haven't watched it in years and years. Um, I'd forgotten that he'd rested Cole Giggs and York and that there was some controversy about that. I mean, Twitter would be up in arms if Twitter had existed in 1999. The BBC website, which did just about exist in 1999, uh, described the selection as controversial and um, said forgotten striker Teddy Sheringham was was in the starting 11, which just kind of shows you the context. Um, That, incidentally, also has one of the worst descriptions, blow-by-blow descriptions of a goal I've ever read in my life where it describes Sheringham having played a an acute through ball to David Beckham for Beckham's goal, which well, we'll get there, but he didn't. But yeah, so we had we played Arsenal already um, four times that season. So we'd lost 3-0 in the Charity Shield. I think a lot of people know that. We'd lost 3-0 at Highbury. I, I didn't watch the highlights or anything of that game, but reading match reports, it looks like that was maybe a little flattering to Arsenal. Um then we drew one all at Old Trafford and the, the first leg of this game had been nil-nil, but United absolutely ha- like had a completely legitimate goal ruled out in that game. That's right. That's right. Yeah, for offside, if I Yeah, exactly. The, the yeah, yeah. Gary yeah, Bloom yeah. talked about it a lot on the commentary of the, the version of this that's on YouTube when he wasn't talking about Mark Overmars. <laughs> Which he talks about who whom he talks about a lot. Yeah. I mean, it was like he was getting paid every time you mentioned the word Mark Overmars. Anyway, very strange. Um, the, the the actual game itself, the first 15 minutes, I mean, it, it would you probably see games like that maybe in the championship where it's just so frantic. Yeah. I mean, every single ball, and it's not pressing in the way that you think about it today, nope. pressing. It's like every single ball, there's a challenge, there's no at all everyone's it's just this horrible mess of people tackling and trying to make passes and they're not trying to retain possession they're trying to get the ball forward or even arsenal even arsenal who that we remember that early stage wenger arsenal as being nice pretty passing nah, but, not, uh, they weren't this at was all. a mess yeah and and it's kind of interesting so one of the things that i did when i was writing an article about that gigs goal in 2015 which is like mad that 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 it's five years ago since I wrote the article about it. So like the level of how far ago in the past it is. Anyway, that's a, a unnecessary interlude. Um, I remember looking up where United and Arsenal were in the league table at that point, and they had almost like United had slightly better goal difference. I think there was a point or two in it. The difference in the way that the goal difference had been accumulated was absolutely crazy. So United had like scored, um, I think, 69 goals and conceded 30 something. Arsenal had conceded a tiny number of goals, basically, um, and and not scored particularly many. And you could see 
that the commentator says when Beckham scores quite early, like this is good for the neutral because now Arsenal will come out and you, you kind of think, oh yeah, we sort of assume that as soon as Wenger arrived, the like boring, boring Arsenal was immediately out the window, but it wasn't. They were like very defence first and and almost all the good stuff that United do in the first 15 minutes, Arsenal's back four just deal with in one way or another. They They do look kind of like an impermeable wall, but there's something about the style of football that allows them to be an impermeable wall. Because like you said, as soon as anyone gets the ball, they're immediately just looking for a killer pass. United is so direct in the first period of that game. Yeah, they really are. And it's uh, it's almost shocking, isn't it? I mean, we are pretty critical of Solskjaer's United at times, but they'd keep the ball a lot more than this. I mean, um, and this is Solskjaer who's managed Mulder, who were quite direct, and Cardiff, who were rubbish. So it's the the contrasting styles really interesting i think someone on twitter said oh, they're not a great footballing side are they and i think it's just football has evolved i mean one of the stats that was um i think i picked up from a article maybe in the, the athletic a few months ago was that the number of passes per game in the premier league has basically doubled in the last 20 years uh, it's it's not unheard of to have more than nine hundred passes in a game now, right? So yeah, um, and and so just football has changed in England a lot, and and it's quite marked actually when you when you watch this game. Uh, and anyway, just completely messy for the first fifteen minutes. United on top have more yeah. of the ball, and uh, and are trying to press, but you're right, don't really create any great chances until the goal. Yeah, and and it's it's interesting because you you watched it before me and you said we're battering these in the first thirty minutes. So I kind of expected us to just be all over them from the off. But really, when we kick into top gear, is like a few minutes before the goal, and then for a little while after the goal, we're right on top. So the goal happens. Well, sure, at six. Arsenal didn't have a shot until the twentieth minute. Yeah, right. There you go. Um. So the the. Oh, was that the Burkamp one that Schmeichel to- saved really party. nicely? Yeah. 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 It's a really good save that from Schmeichel, who, by the way, just impressionistically, one of the main things that I just kind of wistfully watching this game is Peter Schmeichel's distribution. I remember as a kid. Are, are you still just 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 a quick sidebar here? Are you still Dave over Peter? Are you, are you still that way? No, sorry, oh, I flip flopped. Oh. Interesting, again. interesting. Could could that be? It's good to see the fullness of of time before making judgments about who who's who's the number one legend versus the number two legend. Just Yeah. Oh. You'll never anyway, let's that. go back to the game. Um but Schmeichel's distribution is uh by the way, there's things that De Gea is much better at than Schmeichel. But anyway, the, the his one of them is, is there, not though? distribution. Is there, he, yeah, there is. There's there oh, you're telling me that Peter Schmeichel would have made every save David De Gea has made at Man United because he definitely didn't. Um, anyway, the 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 fact that he can just put the ball onto David Beckham's head when Beckham is like, you know, 30 yards into the opposition box on the flat, like every one of those booming kicks out of his own hands go pretty much exactly where he wants them to go. Um, so, yeah, but the, the, so Beckham scores and it starts with uh, starts with a Schmeichel throw, um, as so many United moves did in those days. But the the real key actor in that goal, apart from Beckham's beautiful finish, is Teddy Sheringham, the forgotten striker, who 
manages to pull three defenders to him, which again, you wonder whether that would have happened today or whether actually there's there's kind of a bit more tactical awareness and you wouldn't have had three people. It would have been called out more if three people are dragged to the ball. Sheringham then knocks it back across to Beckham, who's basically takes a free kick from open play. And it's one of the sweetest... Not the only goal he scored exactly like this, though. He scored one like this against Spurs, if I remember. Yeah, go, basically going the wrong way. Yeah, but the, the, the Spurs goal that won United, like that started the comeback that we when we won the league a few weeks after this, it's a very similar finish, but different, totally different angle, Oh, yeah, no, obviously. I think he won at, um, at, won at White Hart Lane right. where he's gone back across the keeper. But, yeah, no, you're right. It's even, it's even more, more acute angle... At, in the uh, the Premier League decider in '99, yeah, but Beckham just had that kind of. He's so sweet at at striking the ball, and he could hit it wherever he wanted. That he can do that, you know. It feels like that's the more comfortable side for the keeper to go, but uh, but he, he Seaman and then gets no balls, near obviously, because it. it's he got absolutely nowhere near it. Seaman, yeah, yeah, and and you know the, the commentator on the the I don't know it's like a commentator on his own, so it must have been some international broadcast or whatever or maybe even a video released afterwards although it can't be a man united video released afterwards because it's very one-eyed the commentary it's very high-pitched and excited when arsenal are attacking um but the uh the, the commentator sort of says oh i'd like to see that again maybe siemens half a step the wrong way before this but he's not at all it's just the the pay the the speed and movement of the ball completely does him and it's it's immense. It's an immense goal. It's- yeah, yeah. Because because the angle is much narrower going that side, and the the goals are more open if you go to the near side. But it's Gary Bloom is the go- the commentator. So I don't know what he's doing with himself these days. He- or whether he's, he's still commentating. Yeah, he works on Talksport, and he's a qualified oh. psychotherapist. I looked that there up today. That was kind of interesting. I might bump into him at a conference. I don't go to conferences. <laughs> Maybe you will. Um, so anyway, uh, goal by Beckham. Arsenal finally get a shot in the 20th minute. Uh, and, um, you know, he probably should have been 2-1 up just a few minutes later. Just another piece of Teddy Sheringham sort of quality and reminds you what a quality player he was, even if he was the forgotten striker. 27 games that season. It's not exactly forgotten, but... Um, and he lays one on for Butt, who's like 12 yards out. And it's just, I think it's Tony Adams who blocks it. You kind of forget that he was a really great defender before, you know, I don't know how well he would have done um, these days, given that his kind of technical quality was not awesome. Do you for- but a great defender. Do you forget that Tony Adams was a great defender? I think you... Don't we all totally know that Tony Adams was a great defender? No, I totally remember it. I mean, half our listeners won't have even been born when Tony Adams was a great defender. No, that's very true. There's the United have like a really dominant passage at this point, and they're just they're just massively on top. And I think like to to zoom out to the end of the game, even though Arsenal did have a very good spell of pressure when they when United had ten men, once extra time rolled around, and that that was the first time the ten men started to really tell. For the vast majority of this game, it would have been quite a travesty if Arsenal had won it. We just look oh, sure. We look miles and miles better than them. That's that's the strange thing. Well, a couple of minutes after that butt shot, uh, there's a Beckham free kick from our left, in which he just whips in and Sheringham flicks it just wide. I mean, United could have been three 0 up before half time, and it wouldn't have been unjust. They were creating all the chances. I'd 
no XG models. I did think about uh, uh, Ted Knutson from Statsbomb was uh, saying, hey, if anyone wants any, if anyone's going to do any retro tournament, um, like broadcasting, uh, a lot of people are asking for Euro 96 to be broadcasting full again. If the Euros don't happen, should do it, should do it. He's saying, we'll do the stats for it sort of thing. I was going to tweet him and go, um, we've got a little project on here. Perhaps you can do some custom stats for us. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they did write an article about the XG of the goals in this game, uh, I remember, Statsbomb. And it was a really nice, it was for one of the papers, and it was a really nice article because it sort of said, like, all these goals are really low XG, and that's why we remember this being an amazing game. And it was a really nice, like... It was a really nice kind of, I mean, it, it was much more nuanced than I've just described. It was a really nice way of like not making the stats important, just sort of talking about what they mean in the context of a match that we really care about and remember. But yeah, I, I, mean, was, I mean, the gig's goal is low XG because it's from a narrow angle. Yeah. But XG doesn't take account of someone dancing through half a team. So the, the thing that struck me most about this game, the individual performance that struck me most was perhaps unsurprisingly, given the era, was Roy Keane. Like, oh my God. The idea that Vieira and Keane were in some sort of equally matched pitch battle, just, I just don't get it. Like, to me, there's there's such a clear definitive winner of that battle. And I've, I've wondered, like, is that just hindsight? Is that just me being a United fan? Watching this game, the impact that Keane has it on has on it versus Vieira is absolutely night and day. United are in complete control in that midfield. And this is the, the supposedly great Arsenal midfield of Manu Petit and Patrick Vieira against Keane and Butt. I mean, but but good player. Not a great player. Keane, great player. Two players in one. I mean, his range of passing's awesome. And he's just first time. And he's all, you know, of course, he's he's chasing players all over the pitch. He's definitely not playing as a defensive midfielder by any means in this game. Uh, he's just all over the pitch. And, and sometimes he's a bit wild. I mean, there's some definitely some tackles flying in in this game that he might not get away with now. I mean, he gets himself stupidly sent off ultimately. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because where he gets the, one of the, the, the kind of specific tactics, because, you know, you said that United were in control. And they, they were, but it's it's the thing we often talk about, isn't it? There's lots of different ways of being in control. They're not in control in the sense that they're like stroking the ball around nicely and they've got nothing to worry about. No, but no, it's momentum. I yeah, mean, if you could take a score of momentum. They're just then, winning. Yeah. They're, they're literally like winning their battles in two thirds of the pitch. And then Arsenal's defence is the one area where they're kind of repeatedly winning the battles. But actually, United strikers also a little profligate in this game. Solskjaer misses a good chance. Sharing and misses a good chance. There's, you know, United had opportunities. Yeah, Bex blazed one over when basically had a free shot from inside the area. Absolutely. And I did wonder, watching that, there's another side note about like where football was at. Actually, I'm going to come back to this because there's a couple of points I want to make about that. So talking about Roy Keane, the, the one thing that I really noticed from a tactical perspective in this game was that Gary Neville has complete license to get forward on the right-hand side because Roy Keane just acts as a supplementary right back whenever he does. That's It's not subtle, it's overt. And in fact, it's putting in a tackle on Mark Overmars playing as that supplementary right back that he gets his second yellow card and gets sent off. Yeah, Gary Bloom's Mark Overmars, as he shall forever be known. <laughs> yes. Yeah, look, Keane, Keane is two players in one. 
he's a great defensive yeah, player. Yeah, maybe more. And he's a great attacking player. He's a great passer. He's just a great player. And the United fans serenade him for seven minutes straight at one point in the second half. And then later on in the game after he's been sent off, like not as he's getting sent off, just randomly his chant kicks off again. You can see how he's, you know, this idea that he's the beating heart of that team is not some sort of impressionistic memory in hindsight. It's exactly what's happening on the pitch. That's right. Just after half time, so United are one nil up. Obviously, going into the half time break, just after half time, it's it's there's a really nice passing move uh, between United and Keane. It's Keane who plays the through ball through to Solskjaer, who should have scored, fires wide, should be two nil up. So yeah, we got Keane tackling, Keane tactically disciplined, Keane the sort of metronome passer in midfield, Keane the progressive passer. He's, he's like every single player in one in this match and Keane, the bonehead, he gets himself sent off a bit later as well. Um, and and it's um, it's kind of interesting that uh, after halftime, Arsenal have a bit more of it, but honestly not until Keane gets sent off, really. They're never really in this. Um, and even then, it's like after Keane gets sent off, United are really f- more or less fine until like the last five minutes. United are still pretty much in I think United have the best chances up till the penalty after King gets sent off. Oh no, for sure, yeah. So Arsenal have about on the hour, there's a low cross from Ray Parler and Anelka, who's hardly in the game at all, basically. I mean, Sheringham and Solskjaer are in the game a lot. Uh, and Anelka just isn't. And it's about 12 yards out and he you know, slams it over the bar. A decent yeah, chance. There was there was an interesting passage of play where where Anelka and uh, Burkamp both had chances from about the same amount of width on either side out, and it looks like United centre backs are trying to force them out wide, basically both of them, and and they both kind of lash shots into the side netting from from either side. I mean, it might just be a coincidence, but it sort of looked like a plan. The you know, you talk about we talk about King getting sent off, and one of the things that I sort of expected from this game, because this has happened sometimes when you watch nineties football, is just almost going, "Oh God, I've just got to readjust my uh, emotional readiness for physical violence." But this game is definitely sort of at an inflection point. You can see that this is seven years into the Premier League, rather than two or three years into the Premier League. This is. This is when tackles behind from behind are getting a yellow card. There isn't. I mean, there there are definitely yellow card challenges that would be a red now, um, and maybe the odd one where you could still. All right, well, that's your first one, and we'll book you next time. But it isn't a completely insane blood and thunder game in the way that you'd expect. And between that and the fact that sort of there's still a little bit of mud around the boxes, like the middle of the boxes, but then there's quite a lot of green still on the pitch. It's sort of this kind of, it's at a kind of transitional point, isn't it, between olden days football, which was fighting on mud, and nowadays football, which is ballet on grass. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. Um, Of course, talking of ballet, uh, Giggs is on, on the 62nd minute, comes on for Blomquist, who did okay. Yes, He wasn't a huge influence on the game, but he did all right in this game. And obviously they're trying to save Giggs for the, for the upcoming games against Juventus, which happened a week afterwards. 
Premier League denouement and, and all of the the rest of it. This this is fourteenth of April. This happened, so we've got about a month until um, the end of the season. Anyway, there's this period just with Arsenal scoring the sixty ninth minute, um, and just before that, Solskjaer's through one on one, blocked by Seaman, should have scored. Um, and uh, then there's, a, or maybe it's just before, there's a really nice sort of break. Un- class. It, look, it would look like a Ole Gunnar Solskjaer break from today, deep in their own half break, and it's Solskjaer who plays it inside to Bex. You know, I think I talked about it earlier, who who lashes it over the bar, really should have scored as well. So, you know, and at that point, it's United have probably had four or five really good chances, and it's still only 1-0. Yeah, I'd say like the best chance of the game. I can't work out from my I can't work out from my notes whether it's before the um the Burkamp goal or afterwards. Uh, but the best chance in the game was uh the parlor cross to Anelka. Where yeah, yeah, it was just before, yeah. Yeah, Anelka's just like completely unmarked in the box and and definitely like just eyeballing it. That's the biggest XG chance in this game. Yeah, yeah, there's about an hour. Yeah. Then 69 minutes Burkamp's equalizer and you look at it, jamming and you're like, sod. oh, it's not only he's jamming because he gets the big deflection, but like that's some poor defending. No one closes him down as well. You just you wouldn't be happy with that. No, so he, I mean it's a simple turn. No one closes him down. Takes a shot, big deflection off Stam and in, and and Arsenal from like really like it should have been at least three down, but it could have been more, and not really in the game to one one. Yeah, and and this is the where the commentator Gary Bloom's talking about how Mark Overmars' arrival has completely changed the game, which it does because he gets Keane sent off and they score soon afterwards. But the the Solskjaer chance and the Beckham chance both happen after Overmars comes on, so it's not nearly that simplistic. Yeah, yeah. I don't well, it's think. the other way around. Bergkamp equalises, then then Keane sent off just uh, like a minute yeah, later. Yeah. yeah, sorry, I yeah, didn't mean yeah. it chronologically. I meant that's just one of the things that that Overmars does. To to significantly affect the game. But yeah, the, the 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 goal is just like, yeah, it's sloppy defending. No one's closing him down. And they get really punished in that way that you when you don't close them down, you're more likely for the ball to fly off your knee because you're the right distance away from the shot. And Schmeichel has it covered. He's going he's going to save Burkamp's initial shot if it's on target, no doubt. Um, but it just skews and it's impossible for him. And then a couple of minutes later is the disallowed goal. And Nelka... I mean, Michael's mistake in the first place doesn't gather a shot, bounces out. No way Dave would have done that, obviously. Uh, and then um, uh, Anelka latches on to the opportunity, goes round Schmeichel. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously passed through after that. The second phase is allowed by Schmeichel making a mistake and then Anelka goes round. Oh, no, no, wait there. No, is no, it, no it, bounces, it bounces out right, to Anelka. Right, he gets the rebound, but he was offside from the initial shot. Correct. Exactly, right, right, yeah. Right. Um, and, and he celebrates. You know, it's a good finish, and he celebrates for ages. I mean, talk oh. about Schadenfreude. You don't, you don't find that a bit funny? Come on, um, come on. Did you find that a bit funny? Uh, actually, no. I, I just couldn't believe it. Like, I just, I don't. I was, I said in the group, I don't think I've ever seen an offside goal celebrated for that long. Like, it's there's just no idea because I guess they're surrounded by Arsenal fans. There must be so much noise. They're just not hearing any of it. And because it wasn't passed through, but it came back out for a rebound, I don't think it would have occurred to him, wait a minute, was I offside when the shot was taken? Um, but he is a mile offside. I mean, it's the right decision, easily the right decision. Um, There's an anecdote that uh, Danny Baker says, problematic, 
Danny Baker, but you know, anyway, I'll repeat it. Um, who says after the after United win in the Champions League final, which I'm sure we'll do in this series at some point, um, he uh, he he takes his trousers down and moons Lothar Mateus because he's just he's not a United fan, but he's just caught up in the moment of just enjoying this man's suffering. Now, yeah, it wasn't quite like that with an Elka goal, but he's celebrating for so long. You definitely could have taken his trousers down, <laughs> mooned him for several seconds, and then got them back up again. It, it, when it went in, I was like, oh, oh no. I forgot. I didn't know this happened. <laughs> you know, I was kind of like swept up in the in the game by this point. Um, yeah. The, uh, do you think Roy Keane's annoyed after this that he didn't even like get to clatter over Mars? Because he didn't touch him, basically. Overmars jumps the charm. He's definitely a yellow card. He's definitely sent off. He's very late. But it's Keane must have thought, ah, didn't even get to actually hurt anyone. Um, so it's kind of a soft dismissal, isn't it, by his standards? Yes, but by the standards of some of the tackles he makes, Alfred Ingerharland might note. <laughs> yeah, tackles. Others. That's, that's not a tackle, is it? That's a, a savage, a, a, pre, a pre-calculated assault. And then I've just got a note here. Allegedly. That, I've just got a note here that says, uh, Phil, mate. Phil, mate. Oh. So we've heard him talk about this in the Class of 92 documentary. He was just absolutely exhausted. And you can see it's just a completely exhausted challenge. In fact, um, a few moments after this, uh, Schmeichel injures himself, uh, trying to make a save. And you can see Phil Neville kind of desperately trying to stretch his legs out in the camera shot where they... They've got the keeper and the physio treatment. He's getting framed. Phil Neville's just like slightly out of focus in the frame, desperately trying yeah. to stretch out his exhausted legs because United don't have any subs left. Well, one of the things I thought, uh, and there's, uh, what, 15 minutes between Keane getting sent off and the penalty. And um, they, they made a change to goals for showing him just how well United controlled that that period. Yeah. Just completely slowed the game down. The game completely changes. And not yeah. in a way that you expect United... Like today, you go into a low block, you play... They all do these drills, 10 against 11. That's not how United played. They just... They kept, they suddenly kept the ball. And they slowed the game yeah. right down and just... They controlled the tempo of the game. And I don't think Arsenal had a significant shot on target in that period. No. No, I, I think you're right. And, and well, I definitely didn't catch any. Um, I have to say, by this point, I was trying really hard to pay attention on the way through this match. It was a slightly low quality video and it's a really long game. And even though there's, it's packed full of incident and, and, you know, the commentator's like, oh, this is one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And, you know, and that was generally the buzz about it. And we all remember this is an absolutely amazing game. Loads of it is scrappy as hell. So it was quite sort of um, draining in a way to watch. Um, but yeah, this period, to- United in total control. And the one thing you would say, I guess, is we don't create a lot of chances either at that point. Um, it's interesting. So I read um, uh, Dan Harris's book, The Promised Land, and he talks about gigs being profligate even by his own remarkable standards um, after he comes on in this. And I, I think that's a little bit harsh on gigs. I didn't notice him give the ball away any more than you would certainly any more than you would expect him to have done in this game really he pops up in the center quite a bit after he comes on and and he's you know he is bursty isn't he yeah. and 
Yeah, so it's not necessarily his passing, but he does he does lose the ball um, in running with it. And that was one of the things, of course, that prompted Fergie to not play him in central midfield in famously in the, the Champions League final a few weeks later. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit. I, I don't know that's the thing I took from it. Not necessarily. Um, but the so the, generally speaking, uh, Arsenal when they got that penalty, I mean, I think we all thought at the time it was over, and it would have felt so harsh. But it's a really poor penalty. I mean, you know, you always like to look up what the percentage penalty is after the shot's been taken. To me, this looks like one where it would be more in the right sort in of the zone. Yeah, right point, in the zone. 0.55, something yeah, like that, yeah, I'd yeah, say. Yeah, I was going to say 60% chance of scoring or whatever. Um, and Schmeichel just goes the right way. And once you go the right way, it's 100% chance of save, basically, because uh, there's not a great deal of power on it and there's no no real placement. I mean, in, the, in that famous Keane versus Vieira documentary that ITV did years and years later... And Roy Keane's like, ah, well, he couldn't fly. No wonder he couldn't take a penalty. And you're like, <laughs> wow, Roy Keane, you know. <laughs> yes, Would he you... has some personality flaws, Roy Keane. Great <laughs> yeah, player. Yeah. Not a fully rounded human. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, but but yeah, uh, just a, another moment of Schmeichel folklore. And of course, this is like a month and a bit before his United career comes to an end. This is yeah. like, he, This is his last season. It is. Which he uh, regrets, according to the uh, official United podcast out this week. Really That's the good. last plug I'm ever going to do for them. Um, I still haven't forgiven him. <laughs> no, and also it, it, it like says that the title of the podcast episode is My Biggest Regret is Leaving United. And when he's asked it, he's like, yeah, I kind of regret it, although I try, no, I try to have no regrets. <laughs> it's like he, he, what he says is it's really difficult for him and he's quite sad about it yeah but that's not the same as anyway but it's really good really good chat actually anyway doubles down saves the penalty we're into extra time york's on for Solskjaer almost as if fergie knew it was heading into extra time didn't make the substitute of course you get an extra one these days but yeah didn't then and there's a couple of minutes afterwards and Schmeichel pulls off an outstanding save from Bergkamp again, which keeps United in it. Because, I mean, I think if Arsenal score there, there's, you know, they're just not getting back in this. No, because they, they're shattered by this point as well, aren't they? And and um, I wonder how much that save, having oh, plus the penalty save, I wonder how much that save takes out of Arsenal. I mean, it clearly takes something out of Schmeichel, because if there had been another substitution, Roman van der Haar would have been on, because Schmeichel's hobbling. I mean, he actually still does really well in terms of like just collecting the ball and distributing it. And there's one where you can see he can hardly kick the ball and he sort of effortlessly kicks it two thirds of the way into the opposition box. Yeah. I mean, Gary Neville's taking all the goal kicks, isn't he? And um, yeah, yeah, Schmeichel's just about making it through. I mean, I still didn't have much of a chance after that. Overmars lashes one over. I've got in my notes here from an Arsenal corner. But you, they definitely look the most likely. Of course. I mean, you'd expect. You'd expect. Um, but they, they they start singing, the Arsenal fans start singing, champions, 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 because they're obviously still champions by this point. And then United fans start singing, United, top of the league. And then Fiera, that... Oh, I'm I'm nearly as I'm as good as Roy Keane. I don't let my team down in crucial moments in big games. Um, <laughs> what is he thinking? Like, who is he trying to pass the ball to? 
I think he's just exhausted too by this point. I think that that's I think he the, is, yeah. It's the same as Phil Neville's mistake. It's just tired, tired minds. And he uh gives Giggsy the ball and Arsenal don't win anything. Um the That's not how the song goes. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm aware. He Giggs latches on and he suddenly comes alive. And when he, even then, it doesn't look like there's a great deal of danger. And then, <laughs> then, like a cocker spaniel chasing a piece of silver paper through a field, um, to quote Fergie about Ryan Giggs, he just dances through the entirety of the Arsenal defence, who are also tired and should have got a tackle in on him. And they're tired from having excelled themselves for, you know, however long they have. Yes, someone would take one for the team these days, I'm sure. Tactical foul. Well, I mean, I've got five yards without City fouling him. Arsenal would have taken one for the team then as well. You know, that's that's what you'd expect. The interesting thing is, Vieira tries to get across, but he's just he's nowhere near. Giggs just accelerates away from him. Yeah, and Scholes, as he talks about again in the Class of '92 documentary, busts a gut to get himself into position where an easy cutback and tap in is on, but Ryan Giggs blasts it into the corner and and. Uh, then, of course, takes his shirt off and waves it around the head. And that's one of my favourite bits of Class of 92 is when Skulls points out that you can see him go to take his own shirt off when he sees Giggs do it and then go, wait a minute, what am I doing? <laughs> and he doesn't. It's really good. I mean, you know, iconic celebration, iconic goal, incredibly, incredibly iconic, magical moment. I don't think Skulls is quite as her suit as Giggs. And if he was, a little bit of ginger fluff, just not. And I don't imagine he had a six-pack under there either. Absolutely not. Um, the only thing that happens after that, really... Well, actually, what 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 did you think seeing that goal again? I'm sure you've seen it a lot of times Oh, since. I mean, I've seen it so many times, but it's magical every time. I mean, there's nothing of note that happens after this at all that well, even matters. Um, Tony has one chance where there's a, a cross from Burkamp to the back post and Adams leaps and he's like inches wide actually <laughs> whatever yeah insignificant insignificant compared to the wild celebrations that are happening uh, and after the game of course you know crowd invades the pitch becks up on the shoulders Schmeichel. it's it mean it's it's so much everyone knows so Michael so absolutely legs it off the pitch as soon as he starts seeing the pitch invasion because he's only got one leg and he knows, like, I cannot survive whatever happens in a pitch invasion here. And he's like, claps the fans and legs it down the tunnel. And um, I had a little look to see if this is still on YouTube and I can't find it. So um, I was hoping we could splice it in. But uh, Gary Newbon asks Fergie after the game, well, God, man sent off extra time. That's the last thing you needed, isn't it? And Fergie says, look, who knows what's going to happen in football? Who's to know what's going to happen in football, Gary? It could all blow up in our face at the end of the day. But can you forget moments like this? Our supporters will be talking about that for years. I mean, it's 21 years later and we're literally talking about it. The players will be talking about that for years. That's what football's about. Trying to reach peaks and climaxes to a season, which we're doing at the moment. We're in a final. We've got something in the bank for ourselves. Now we go and try and win this league now. And it's, it's Fergie's greatest ever post-match oh. interview, and it it it's yeah. it's the soul of Alex Ferguson. Gary Newbon saying that's the last thing you need, and Fergie saying, or is it 
Or is it the best thing we've ever seen? Yeah, I mean, of course, because Newborn's asking the pundit question, which is the next thing. Oh, you're going to be tired after this. With a big game, cheering on the Wednesday. Or was it? A week, yeah, a it week was. and it a was half. Che- Ten days away, I yeah. think. Yeah. Ten days away, okay. Yeah, and Fergie's just living in the moment, as he does. And anyway, this is United through to a, a, a cup final against Newcastle, who are halfway down the halfway down the table. It's barely even need to think about that one. Yeah, absolutely. And and just because you know Arsenal were the team that we were nip and tuck with in the title race. What it did for us, what it did to them, it was it was a definitive moment. And I wrote I wrote this article for Bleacher Report about it, and I sort of said, "Was it five things we learned from the '99 FA Cup semi final?" replay no it was a piece of work i put my entire heart and soul into um and i, I sort of said so six things then. you you can't sum up ryan giggs a man whose career spanned eras who won 13 league titles how can you sum him up with a 15 second passage of play except that you absolutely can for two reasons one Ryan Giggs never scored a more Ryan Giggs-esque goal than that. It's it's peak Giggs in terms of who he was as a player at his best. But also, it's peak Giggs as in he was able to execute in the moment. Arsenal's great players did not execute in the moment in this game. But with all the pressure, with everything riding on it, Giggs looks like a Cocker Spaniel chasing a piece of silver paper through a field. It's 15 seconds which completely encapsulates his entire United career, both in style and substance. Oh, for sure, yeah. Well, not not quite, because it really encapsulated the entire career. He might have shanked across wide or behind the goal. <laughs> but um, but let's not, let's not, you know, pick on gigs here. He did, <laughs> he did a wonderful thing. Anyway, so that's, that's that game. Uh, we had a few questions about this and the season so before we yeah. end today yeah i guess like we'll to make, hear from the listeners we'll, we'll make this Some a regular part here. of uh, nqat game club we'll, we'll sort of ask for questions about the game and like you said um uh the current plan is the seven one against roma so long as we can we can find a full copy of that somewhere dale 1878 dale on twitter says uh, i watched the game for the first time in full is the 1999 team so great because they just never gave in they obviously had the quality individually and collectively but they're not in the not the best footballing team ever right and he follows this up with football now versus football back then discuss back then well it was black and white in 1999 you I mean, it's, it's 21 years ago there's that game could legally buy a drink in america in about two weeks um it's it hadn't been shot first but anyway uh (laughs) unnecessary um this this uh it this is a long long time ago this game it's a it's you know there are plenty of players playing professional football who were not born when this game was was played and many 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 more that would be too young to remember it um and it does look like football from a different era in terms of particularly the kind of um, the lack of tactical specificity, I guess I'd say that the the kind of like we said, ball possession is just not considered. Essentially, it doesn't there's no value placed in being the team that's on the ball, really. Um, only ball possession is only for getting the ball forward as quickly as possible. Not always like obviously not 
This is not a hoop ball team by any stretch of the imagination, but they are trying to find the killer ball into the channel time after time after time. And maybe that's because Fergie identified that as being the best way to get at that particular Arsenal back four. Because the fact that like Nicky Butts in there is definitely an Arsenal measure, because I think he played in every game against Arsenal the entire time he was at the at the club. Um No, I think you're right. There's a I mean it's a it's a cliche perhaps, but Fergie identified the game a year later or so when Real Madrid beat United at Old Trafford and uh, Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, scored a hat trick uh, as a sort of turning point for him. And and it's what a year later that he buys Juan Sebastian Veron. Maybe not even a year later. Didn't oh uh, the well, so I think the Ronaldo game Veron. is a bit later. But I could be wrong. I can't. I can't remember. I think Veron was two thousand and one. But yeah, so the Ronaldo game happens in the. It's the first right. knockout phase, right? So it's February two thousand, right, right, right. something like that. Yeah, and Veron arrives this not the summer, just after that. But after that, anyway, he's trying to evolve the team. Is the point I'm trying to make? Before you're nitpicking around dates, <laughs> Paul looking shocked and. His feelings are hurt. Anyway, um, not as hurt as Fergie's feelings when a journalist tried to pick on Juan Sebastian Veron's quality. The thing is, I I Uh, think that, you know, all the kind of like team versus team, I think everything about this team could easily have been... I think if you put every one of these players into football now, having been brought up in football now, they'd be the best team in the country by a mile. Um, and and with Fergie as the manager because he evolved all the way through his career. But if you just tried to get that team to win the Premier League, like they were magically, I mean, they might win it because they have a weird magical power not to lose any game ever. Um, but but I do think they they would have a lot of work to do to compete nowadays. Sure, I mean. It's a it's an odd question in a way con- comparing saying like football then versus football now it's an easy discussion to have in a way um transplanting a team is a harder one but I, I agree with the substance of this argument that it yeah it they they would they would be playing like almost no team in the Premier League plays I mean Norwich play possession football in a in a sort of very possession heavy way that it's not a chance any of the bottom 17 teams in the Premier League back in 1999 were trying no, to do and, that. No, and so. the only team that is sort of tactically anywhere similar that's done anything in the Premier League for ages was Leicester when they won the league. That's the, that's the closest. And even them, you know, it's a very sort of different side. So it was it was interesting to watch. But I wonder whether you could almost do, draw too many conclusions from this game a game against the best defence probably in the world, definitely in the country, um, at a time when all the players were absolutely exhausted at the business end of like one of the longest seasons ever. So maybe that's not doing them full justice to just take it based on this game. We're going to watch quite a lot of these games, I imagine, from many decades. (laughs) We'll draw a lot of uh, conclusions from individual 90 minutes. Uh, Darren Greer asks, and I suspect he may have asked this before seeing the game, 
Can we find a way to break down that stubborn Arsenal defence or are we going to have to rely on individual <laughs> Williams? Um, actually, the answer is we are going to find a way to break down the stubborn defence, but that's not going to be the thing that does it. Because actually, the good chances we created didn't do anything. It was the wild moments of individual brilliance that did the Very job. true. Andy McCoy says, if we get past Arsenal, do you think we can go on and win the treble? Unlike Liverpool, <laughs> I think we can. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can. Ideal Ishmael says, uh, what are your predictions against Sheffield Wednesday on Saturday? Do you think Fergie will arrest Andy Cole and Dwight York ahead of the rematch in Turin? <laughs> I have to say, I have no memory whatsoever of what happened in the league no, game between this game and Turin. That, that, that I, but I'm going to assume that we won the league, so it probably ends up all being fine. Although there, I mean, there was a wobble, wasn't there? Because... We did have to win on the last day of the season, so there must have been a wobble. Yeah, that's correct. I, I should have checked out. I should have checked out the result. I don't even remember what the result was against Sheffield Wednesday. I'm just going to, you can look it up on your phone, 11 v 11, and uh, I'll read the next question. Crazy Windmill says, often forgotten about this match. Giggs pulled his hamstring celebrating his goal. I did think that was really funny watching this. So he's doing the wild celebrations and then afterwards he's hobbling around <laughs> holding the back of his leg. He liked a hamstring strain, did I didn't even Brian notice Giggs. that. Um, <laughs> only solved in the latter period of his career when they realised he was wearing the uh, wrong Manchester boots. United 3, um, uh, Sheffield Wednesday nil. The headline on the BBC website, they're completely obsessed with this, must be the same guy writing it. Forgotten front men keep United on track. Because the goals came from Solskjaer and Sheringham, uh, who I don't think were forgotten. I think we all remembered them. They certainly weren't forgotten a few weeks later. <laughs> certainly not. Great. So it's a long show. Um, and uh, they won't all be this long. Um, but we, uh, we, we, there might be, but I guess we wanted to talk about the, the current situation a little bit before we got into this. We'll see you on Friday for the 7-1. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been in touch. Um, I've I just seen on Instagram people were really up for this and excited about it. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, please do get involved with your kind of thoughts and questions uh, about the 7-1 game ahead of our recording next time. And uh, any memories and stuff, all, all greatly appreciated. So thanks to everyone for listening and we'll be back on Friday. Patreon backers, um, we are going to do this week's bonus content on Friday show because this one's been such a long one. See you then. See you then. <laughs> <laughs>